Uh, as I was um, joining with other brothers and sisters in prayer this morning for um, this particular worship service, I thought about uh, how as we have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up and uh, family members will be gathering together for these holidays and these precious moments that we have, how um, parents delight in having their scattered children uh, come back together to be one again. And I thought about how exciting it is for children to gather and how much uh, it is uh, a blessing uh, for us to be able to do that, to unite together in that way. And I thought of what this morning represents, a gathering of brothers and sisters who have been scattered into the world to live for the name of Jesus Christ. And as we gather together as a family reunion, how much this must delight the heart of our Father, as excited as we may be about coming to worship, as unexcited as we may be about coming to worship, the reality is that we have a Father in heaven who is excited to meet with His children today. And so we thank you that this is uh, the Father into whose presence we come, and this is the place in which He sends forth His Holy Spirit because of the work of His Son, our older brother Jesus. Thank you that we can come boldly and we can ask to see the glory of Your goodness, and we could ask that You would flood this place with Your presence because we know that wrath is removed at the cross and in the resurrection, the exclamation point stamped onto the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God so that we can know that we're accepted into this place, not only accepted, but we are cherished and we are embraced and we are loved. This is the heart of our Father and we thank you for it. We thank you that you call us to not only be together today, but you call us to go forth in calling wayward children to come back home into the embrace of the Father as well. And so we thank you that we get to do that we do that. We're called to do that. Every day we live, every moment uh, we're in this world, there's a mission for us as students, as family members, as working people, as, uh, as, as parents. Wherever we go, we thank you that you're called to glorify your name by equipping Christ-centered leaders to transform the world rests upon each of us who are harvesters. Give us eyes to see. We thank you for our children's ministry and our youth ministry and good and wonderful things you're doing there. We thank you for our adults, our house churches, and the different things that you're doing as we prepare to charter as a church independent in order that we might grow into uh, who you're calling us to be. We pray that many of our folks would be just so excited to grow in ownership and to grow in our stewardship of our resources in order that your church would go forth. We thank you for missionaries who have done that also in different ways to count the cost and to say that, Lord, you are worthy of all that I am. And so we pray for them and uh, many of them in places where the gospel is not readily received. And so we pray for these places in which they serve. You know the people that we work with and partner with and people who are our friends. As we lift up their, their countries and their places of ministry, we pray, Lord, that you would be near to them. We pray that you would be near to our workers and our friends who are serving you in Thailand and in Myanmar in Kyrgyzstan, in Vietnam, in Taiwan, in, in Hawaii. We lift up our workers who serve you faithfully in, in Ecuador and in Japan, in China, amongst the Uyghur peoples, um, the, the many different folks that we have in, in Japan as well. Lord, we pray for those who serve you in, uh, in, in Turkey, in Jordan. We lift up our friends in Australasia. We pray for those in Spain. We pray for those who are in Cameroon, Africa. Those serving here in college campuses, those who mobilize and do different things for the sake of your kingdom, for those who are serving in Korea and whose heart beats to go to the motherland up north, we pray you would bless and encourage our workers and give them faithfulness to you and fruitfulness in their lives that would uh, be of blessing to those whom they are serving. 
We thank you that wherever we are, whether we're here or abroad, whether we're at home or in the workplace or at school, wherever we go, we thank you that the message of Christmas, Emmanuel, God is with us, is a reminder to us that we're never alone. We thank you that you're a good, good father who gave the perfect son of God to be a friend to us. And as we've been studying and as we've been learning, Lord, may we grow in our friendship with Jesus. Give us ears to hear now what your spirit would say to your church as we hear a testimony from one of our high schoolers, Ashley Peck, who's committed her life to Christ. We pray that you would then give me words to say, that you would be with me, my gracious master and my God. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name, that we would grow in our friendship with Jesus. Would you meet with us now through your word and through your testimony, and may your spirit be evident to all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you, Ashley, for sharing your, uh, sharing your story with us. Um, hey, can we do this? Let's, uh, can you just look to maybe five people, count one, two, three, four, five, five people around you and just say hello to them, someone that you haven't seen or said hello to as you've walked in here. Uh, just greet each other in the name of the Lord. Yep, if you want to stand up and move around, you can do that also. That's completely cool. All right. Uh, Ashley, thank you for sharing. We have, um, over the next uh, several months, we have queued up uh, different people who are ready to share their testimonies, whether it be um, the, the, the group of people who, along with Ashley and others, uh, were baptized and confirmed their faith a few weeks ago, or next week is our membership Sunday where we're going to welcome about 15 new covenant members into membership here at Harvest. We're finishing up a class called Harvest 201 where about 14 people are finishing that up and they're going to be sharing their testimonies. So we've got a lot of people who are ready to share and who are going to be in the queue uh, to come up and, and share their story. We do this and we love doing it because, well, there's a lot that happens when we share testimonies. Ultimately, uh, the hope is that the Lord God would be honored and glorified. But last night as we were uh, finishing up our youth meeting, there was a, a few people were standing outside and, and uh, we're sitting in a circle talking and uh, as Ashley was walking out, I said, guys, Ashley's sharing her testimony tomorrow. Uh, and so they're like, woo, woo. And uh, one of the gals who worships with us at our Alpha service, who is now serving children's ministry um, during this service, she said, I'm going to go to both Alpha service and Omega service. I'm going to serve them. Come back because I want to hear Ashley's testimony. Why does she want to come back and hear Ashley's testimony? I think there are a lot of reasons for it. One, she's a friend of hers and she loves and respects her. Um, but one of the reasons we love hearing stories like this is because we know who the person is. When we look at them, you know who Ashley Pack is if you're a friend of hers, but you don't always know the journey that she's been through. That's why we love reading biographies of famous people. We love reading biographies about war heroes, or we love reading biographies about presidents, or we love reading biographies about athletes. We love watching the E! True Hollywood story of how Marshall Mathers became Eminem or how this and that become this person because we see these celebrities. We see who they are right now on stage. We see them making all the points in the football games. We see these people as celebrities, but we don't know the journey that led them to where they are right now, and that's what inspires us. That's what's hope-giving. That's what encourages us to know that, hey, wherever we are, we could end up as a person of influence in this world also. That's why we love hearing these stories. And amidst all of the stories of people who 
became somebody significant in this world. One of the things that unites all of them is that there were struggles and there were hardships, there were challenges, and there were failures along the way. And the thing that gives us hope is to know that their failures were actually a vital part of the journey that got them to where they are. In fact, if you read the Bible, which I hope you do, this is interesting. As an aside, I shared this at our morning prayer meeting yesterday, but uh, there are studies that said by, uh, physiologically there's a different thing that happens in your mind when you read the Bible in print, like a paper Bible, versus when you read the Bible on your phone. Like physiologically there's a difference in how your brain and how your heart responds to it. Um, it's obviously much better when you read it in print. But if you read through the Bible, something very interesting begins to come up. The Bible doesn't mince words and it doesn't sugarcoat over the so-called heroes of our faith. We see that all of the people that we respect had some kind of dysfunction in them. That all of the people that we look up to and respect failed at some level at some point. Abraham, whom we call the father of our faith, right? You remember before we called him the father of our faith, he called his wife, his sister, in order to protect himself and in order to put her in harm's way. That's the father of our faith. That's a bad man right there. We talk about Moses. Moses was the great, he was famous as this great leader of Israel, but he was also famous as this great murderer in Egypt. We talk about David and we praise and hail him as a man after God's own heart, but before he was a man after God's own heart, he was a man after his best friend's own wife. Huh. The Bible is filled with true stories of people who have failed and what it's telling us is that failure is natural and it's normal, a part of this fallen life if we're a fallen people. One of the great commercials that highlighted the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, was this commercial where he says, um, I've missed 9,000 shots in my lifetime, in my basketball NBA career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been entrusted to make the game-winning shot and I missed. He said, I failed over and over and over and over again. And then the commercial ends by him saying, and that's why I succeed. It's not I failed, but I also succeeded. He said the reason I succeeded was because there was something that happened in me through my failures that enabled me to actually succeed. In other words, here's the point. The question is not will you fail. You and I will fail. The question is what will you do after you fail? That makes all the difference in the world. And for today's purposes, as we look into the Word of God, here's what makes it not a TED Talk, but it makes it a sermon that makes it not just good advice, it makes it good news. The deeper question is not what will you do when you fail, the deeper question is what will Jesus do when you fail? What will Jesus do? As we've been looking at the fact that there is no friend like Jesus, what a friend we have in Him. When you fail, when I fail, maybe some of us are walking in here today feeling like we failed. You failed Jesus, you failed your friend, you failed your marriage, you failed your kids, you failed at something, and you're here and you're wondering, what does Jesus have for me today? We're going to look at John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 30 and 31, and then we're going to scoot into John chapter 21 as we look at how Jesus, in the last part of his life, 
reacted as a friend to a person who thought that their failure was not only fatal, it was final, and it had the last word. We're going to look into this, but just to kind of catch us up to speed. We've seen a couple weeks ago at the end of Jesus' life, on the last night of Jesus' life, he told his disciples, the 12 followers of his, the closest people to him, he said, all of y'all are going to fall from me. You're all going to fall away. You're all going to deny that you ever knew who I was. And they start like saying, no, not me, not me. I'm not going to do that. That night, uh, after he had had his final meal with them, which was significant, after his final meal, uh, one of his 12, Judas, goes out and he sells him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus gets betrayed. The next morning, he gets crucified. And then in the ultimate plot twist, (laughs) on the third day, his buried body began to breathe, and from the grave, Jesus arose in victory, right? That was the true story of what happened some 2,000 years ago. And then Jesus showed up to many different people, began to show himself to his disciples who found themselves in awe. He goes to Thomas, who was doubting. He was the most doubtful of the, of the disciples. He's like, oh my gosh, I've seen Jesus, my Lord and my God, and that's where we come to in the true story of the end of Jesus' life in John chapter 20, verse 30. If you were directing a movie of this, okay, this is no doubt where you would imagine the movie would end. Jesus has risen from the dead. There's lights. There's glory. The angel choirs are singing. The lights come on. The audience is standing up. They're giving a standing ovation. Before the credits roll, this is what it says on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. And so the curtain closes on the Gospel of John. Or so we think, but it doesn't. (laughs) Why? Because there's a chapter 21. Why is there chapter 21? This is kind of weird. He builds up to this massive crescendo. All these things are written. Now you may believe in Jesus. And then you go to John 21. It's kind of strange. Well, what's happening here? There's someone who's been noticeably absent in all of these resurrection appearances. Been singled out, but hasn't been doing much. It's Peter. Peter, the one when Jesus said, you're going to all deny me, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to deny you. Peter had denied Jesus. In fact, done it in a colossal act of failure. Three times he did it. And so Peter's kind of been missing from the equation. What is Jesus doing? He's going after Peter. This is what we're going to see. What happened to Peter after he failed? And what happens to you and me after we fail? What is our tendency? Where do we go? And what does Jesus do about it. For those of us who are sitting here feeling like we've ever failed Jesus, maybe you're sitting in the midst of that failure right now. Feel like you're not sure if you want to be here, but somebody made you come, or they're checking in on you, and you're here. How Jesus responds to Peter is how Jesus would respond to you and me. Two things we're going to look at. Number one, here's the first thing, okay? Jesus, here's what Jesus does for those who fail. Jesus pursues you When you want to run away. (laughs) When you want to run away, Jesus pursues you. Why is there chapter 21? Here's my proposal. The only reason John chapter 21 is in existence, the only reason it was inspired by the Spirit through the pen of the beloved apostle is because there was a man named Peter. 
And just like Peter, there were people like him who fail Jesus and who fail quite bitterly. What was Peter's story? You remember Peter, whenever the disciples are listed, Peter's always first. And in biblical times, whenever, in biblical literature, in literature of the time, whenever a name is written first in a group, it means that they're the most important person. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Peter. It was these people amongst all of the other ones. Here's Peter. He's the leader of the disciples. Whenever there's a silence in the group, Peter's the one who's going to speak up to say something. Peter's a talkative one. He's the one who's putting his foot in his mouth. He's the leader of the band for all intents and purposes. But what we see is that after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter has gone radio silent. The one who's always talking at the center of all of the action is nowhere to be found. When someone in your group of friends is always talking all the time, and all of a sudden they, start, they stop talking, you got to imagine that something happened. Right? Something is wrong with Peter. What was it? Well, we go back to what I said. Before Jesus was crucified, he said to his 12 disciples, every one of you is going to betray me. And Peter's like, dude, Jesus, listen up, man. Uh, everyone else may do that, but you remember who I am. Okay, remember who I am. I'm the rock. Huh. Can you smell what the... I'm the rock. Everyone else may fall. Everyone else may fail. Everyone else may leave, but not me. Jesus, I'm the, you even called me the rock. I didn't call myself. I was Simon, but you called me Petros. You called me Petra. You called me the rock. And Jesus said, that you may be, but the reality is that, Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows, before the night is over. You're going to say, I never knew who this man was. Peter's like, Jesus, come on. Me, Peter, Simon, remember? Me. Jesus says, not once, not twice. But three times you're going to do that. This very night that's going to happen. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you think you're hard like a rock? <laughs> I'm going to expose that you're softer than chocolate <laughs> on a summer day. That's what you're going to become. And you need to go through that in order for you to become who you were meant to be. And so just as Jesus says, Three times Peter denies ever knowing Jesus, the rooster crows, and some, some people said, and I don't know if this is real or if this is tradition, but they said from that moment, every time Peter heard a rooster crowing, he would weep as he thought about his betrayal of his Savior. So there's Peter, he denies Jesus, and before he can do anything, the rooster crows, he weeps bitterly. And before he knows it, before he could go to Jesus, before he could say, I'm sorry, before he could say, Jesus, I didn't mean it, before he could say, Jesus, I love you, he looks up, his Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Certainly, Peter felt like he had lost. He'd blown it. He'd messed up big time.